I love the way the First Gen Lounge makes me feel. Because it creates a space where I belong, where we're able to create community. The fact that it's a community. It's a safe place. It also gives me a place to understand different perspectives. The stories of these individuals prescribe transformational perspective. I receive encouragement, enlightenment, empowerment. And also serve as a catalyst to just keep going. Where we're able to be our true selves. I'm allowed to be an unapologetic first gen. And above all else, tell our story. And every episode is unique. I love it. I'm your host, Dr. Eve, and I'd like to welcome you to the First Gen Lounge. All right, people, good people, First Gen fam, we out here always, aren't we? Look, I can't speak for anybody but myself, but I will say that this time that we're in, we're figuring out our new normal has been, I would say, really interesting for me. And in a good way, because a lot of reflection, a lot of growth that's been happening lately and every guest I get to talk to that comes on and, you know, they always bring in something different. And this particular person I met before everything popped off. Like, so like we really met at the, the brink of we having to be inside and the person who's with us today is just really incredible, like very creative. I saw his work and was like, yo, he's dope. Who is that? <laughs> so I have with us today, DeAndre J. Edwards. What a name. Hey, DeAndre. Hey, now. How y'all all doing? How you doing? I think I'm going to say, hi. Not like we had a concert now. <laughs> you know, speaking <laughs> of concerts, did you get to watch that Jill Scott and Erica Badu the other week? I got a, I got a little piece of it and I felt like it was, I wouldn't call it a battle. Not I felt all. like it was a, 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 I felt like it was an exchange of good energy, good music. It's mm-hmm. not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it on verses, but it was definitely um, needed for the culture. Mm-hmm. And then, but I think it was really credit when I went back and looked at it after the fact, I saw that it was called verses, but it wasn't called versus, like verses, you know, like, like we're in a battle. They made it like, like it was literally verses, like hear, hear the song verses. That was a really, really good time for me. Like, you know, so with us being inside, me watching that just took me to a real good place. Like, I really feel like I was at a concert. <laughs> I was like, I was jamming. I went and got my wine. <laughs> my husband came downstairs. He was like, dang, that's how we do it? But, yeah. yeah I, I heard um, the Grits line was heard around the world, you know, uh, when, mm. for Jill Scott. When that, that, that line of Grits is like, I heard it was all, all around the world. Mm-hmm. So, that was a beautiful thing. It is. And it's just, but you have never realized, especially as you're creative, too, the impact of of what you're doing it and what that will mean, you know, 10, 15 years from now. Cause when I had actually gone, I went to YouTube and after the fact I had my, you know, my second concert and my follow up to the songs that I missed. Cause I got on a little bit late before. And when I was going back to listen to it, I was like, yo, this was 10 years ago. This was 15 years ago. Like where did the time go? And I was mm-hmm. like, one, I'm telling my age, but then two, I was like, this is, it's crazy how much music though sticks with us. And it's one of those things that we just, we just hold on to. So yeah, this, look, we've gotten all into a different conversation, but hey, that's what's <laughs> happening in the first gen lounge. We, we doing stuff that's new, but good for you. But yeah, but DeAndre, you know, tell us, my friend, who you are and what you do. You know, you fellow HBCU grad, like, you know, who, who are you? My name is DeAndre Jermaine Edwards from St. Louis, Missouri. And I was fortunate to attend um, a few HBCUs, you know, since 2009. I went to Harris-Stowe State University. I went to Lincoln University of Missouri for three years, uh, and I ultimately graduated from Virginia State University. And as well, went to film school in the New York Film Academy in Burbank, California. 
I've been all I've been all around. I've been all around, especially as a creative. I didn't really tap into that creative part until like my junior year of college. So um, you never know when it'll actually come when you actually be a creative because I was a psych major hmm. originally, and it wasn't until my junior year it's like I picked up a camera and I was like, I know I'm closer to graduation, but I gotta follow my passion. And mm. once I followed my passion, it took me it took me to Virginia. Wow! So literally from. St. Louis to even being in Virginia and California, you have literally lived all across the country. <laughs> like so, which coast do you like better? Mm. <laughs> I really enjoyed the East Coast. Going to school in Virginia State, it was it felt like it was a fashion show every day. It's just nice to see you know everybody dressing up. Like I know I'm from the Midwest, you know I love it, but they ain't got nothing as far as fashion <laughs> on the East Coast and on the West Coast is uh it's a different breed in itself. I, I enjoyed it, but also I was in California, so the cost of living was too high for me, uh, so okay. I always enjoy Virginia, yes, man. Uh, that's what it was. Okay, I see it in Virginia still, you know, get comfortably, you know, south, like, you know, but you're still right there mm. at that, you know, uh, come on, that yep, framework, like Maryland, D.C., and you can still get to that area real easily, and I love, I love D.C. There are a few cities that I love. Chicago's one, and D.C. is definitely the other, so, you know, there are many other places I've been that I really enjoy. I enjoy the islands a lot, too. That's really interesting. He said Virginia's where it's at in the fashion show. How are you going to hate on your old people, though? That's <laughs> how about Missouri ain't even got it like that. Ooh, Missouri, y'all should be mad at your boy. Ooh, how you going to do your people? You can't. And you from Missouri. You supposed to be on there putting off Missouri. Talking about they ain't got no fashion. <laughs> I'll rep for Nelly. I'll definitely rep for Nelly. You, you know I'm going to ask you that, right? You ever meet Nelly? <laughs> <laughs> oh no, I, I haven't been for. I, I have I, unfortunately, I never met Nelly. They always ask, "Do we know Nelly?" I, I wish I could meet him, but now nah, I, I haven't. But it's so funny because when you think about it, like the only reason I felt like I ever got to know about Missouri, like as a place on the map, like you learned the map when you're in school, but because of Nelly, because you like Missouri. What's in Missouri? <laughs> oh yeah, he's that pioneer. Like mm. he's that pioneer for St. Louis and bringing St. Louis any type of you know recognition. Mm. So I, him, him and St. Lunatic. So it's like it was them like a, as a whole package, just with them representing St. Louis as they did. And the music that he did was just iconic. You know, mm. he's like number six diamond hip hop artist. You know, they sold ten million records. Mm. So that's definitely great. That's that's something that's interesting. And the other thing about St. Louis that I understand is y'all's barbecue. Is it for real what they say about that barbecue? I would say depending on where you go. <laughs> if you end up going to St. Louis, you definitely are going to be in for a treat. I mean, if you end up getting you some barbecue from mom out there. I love that. I love that. That's cool. But so, yeah. So we talked about Nelly and Nelly being a creative. I really want to talk about you being a creative. Like, let's really, really talk about this because you are a filmmaker. And, you know, again, creator, director, screenwriter, like you do it all. And you touched on it earlier, but what got you into it? And, you know, what is it that continues to drive you? And tell us a little bit about the actual work that you're doing with Just Black. So when I first picked up a camera in 2013 is when is when it all really just sparked up. Originally, I, I became like a photographer for the, for the school, just taking pictures here and there. And at that summer, you know, that's back, back that summer of 2013 is when I really realized that I don't think I want to stay at Lincoln anymore. I don't feel like I'm being fulfilled taking up psychology. So transfer to Virginia State University, like at the drop of the dime, like this is like at the end of the summer. And I end up taking up mass communication with a concentration in television. I had a professor that we had a class and he ended up saying that we was going to shoot like a short film. Like each group has to shoot a short film. And then once I shot like my first short film, I just fell in love with it. 
you know, that was just the birth of the career path that, I, you know, that I'm choosing to go, which is to, to be a filmmaker, to be a, a, a director, ultimately. I love that. So tell us about Just Black. What, is, what did that come from? What is it all about? Because they don't know about it. So you got to tell them about Just Black. Okay. Um, yeah, so Just Black uh, is a pilot film. Um, it's about a high school student that has just graduated high school. He wants to attend uh, Harvard University. He wants to attend that PWI school because he, he feels that HBCUs are inferior to the PWI. He's a black student that came from a privileged family, but his family are, are you know, HBCU graduates themselves. And they would like for him to go, but, you know, he does, like, like I said, he grew up privileged. He came up from a predominantly white high school, middle school, elementary school, and he just feels like he's, you know, superior to anybody that's black. So he wants to attend that school. And ultimately, his aunt forces him to attend a HBCU orientation because he's been placed on the waiting list. And it's already, it's getting close to that time to make a decision on what school you want to go to. You get a chance to see Travis Thompson, the name of the character, just go to the orientation. You see how uncomfortable he is. And you get to see him with his cousin, Zeke. You get the chance to see Travis with Zeke as they you know, navigate through this HBCU orientation. At the end of it all, you get a chance to see Travis make an actual decision on whether to stay and wait to hear back from Harvard, or you get to see him make a choice to go to the HBCU, which is the name of the school. is Michael G. State University. Okay, okay. So let me ask you this then. Why is that even an important conversation to have, this whole idea of these IVs versus these HBCUs, which I've heard about for many years, but why did you even want to put that out there in the atmosphere? I believe that HBCUs get a lot of bad rap. Like there are certain type of content that was being put out of recent years. I felt like it was like a target against HBCUs. Um, the, the film called Burning Sands, I just felt like they kind of put a damper on HBCUs as a whole. Because the first thing you see, anything that's a pledge, and you, you know, you have people that highlights HBCU. So I just feel like I owe HBCUs that, you know, a film they'll shed light and hopefully it inspires people to want to attend an HBCU. Yeah. So it is important, you know, when you think about going to an HBCU, like to, to understand and to respect the differences in the institution type. What was it about HBCUs that even attracted you? Because like you told us, you went to three of them, you know, definitely, you know, for different reasons. But what was it for you that made an HBCU stand out or even attractive thing? So for me, I went to three HBCUs, but I chose one. Like, so when I say that, the first time I stayed for you know, personal reasons. The second time, I still didn't know so much about HBCUs to say like, okay, I want to go to a historically black college and university. I just know that I was on a band scholarship. So those two were, you know, it, it was by chance I went there. But that third time when I realized that, okay, I want to, I want to leave. I want to, I want to leave. That's when I felt like I, I gained. I felt like I was getting nutrients when I when I was attending an HBCU. Just with um, attending Lincoln University, Missouri for three for three years, I felt like I needed to. I, I still need to be fed, not just career wise, not you know, or something somewhere that I can fulfill you know my passion. But I feel like I still want to be around people that look like me, you know, and that and that was something that was important to me, and that was something I had to grow with while attending the HBCU. I grew up, you know, in black high schools and all that, and a lot of times people say. You know, I don't want to be around more black people, you know, or just like the, the same type of group where there's a difference between collegiate people of color and people who you grew up with high school. You know, mm. these are a bunch of knuckleheads compared to a lot of people that's striving to do better, that are actually making a change in the community. 
and that comes from all places of the world. So that's that's what made me want to attend the HBCU. That made me choose the HBCU my last time around for undergrad. Mm, I can dig that. I can dig that. And then when you started thinking about going into film school, like your graduate program, what led you to go elsewhere? You know, is it that? And I know the answer to it, but just kind of, you know, thinking about it, is it that HBCUs just didn't have the opportunity that you needed, not the programs? Because it's like, well, if you're such a fan of HBCUs, then why not keep going to one? And that was the thing. I, I couldn't find a HBCU with a filmmaker master program, or at least I just I didn't know of many. And also, California is is like the mecca of all things that's film related. So I'm like, okay, I'm, since I can't really find a, a film program that'll cater to what I'm trying to do, I'm just going to try um, California. I think I believe um, Howard has a filmmaking master's program. So that's something that I, I didn't grasp at that time because I was so ready to come back home and, and then just kind of regroup because I didn't know what I, I didn't know what was next. So it took me about a year to end up really going off the, um, for film school. So I didn't even think about, okay, what HBCUs will have a master's film program. I definitely want to extend my filmmakers hat to, into a HBCU, hopefully sometime down the road. Hmm. I really like that you frame it that way, that it wasn't that you couldn't have gone to an HBCU, though. It's just where you were looking for the opportunity for what you wanted to do, because alignment and positioning is very important, especially if you're thinking about, you know, like I said, your graduate school career in California is, is hot for what you're trying to do. So not why not go out there and be a part of the industry that it had nothing to do with not thinking that your institution or these institutions are qualified, you know, for what it is. But again, positioning is everything. That's kind of like somebody saying they want to practice a specific type of law and they're going to go somewhere that's totally, you know, not even for that thing they want to practice. It's kind of backwards. So I, I really do like, you know, that you had that in mind that it wasn't even about the thought of being or not being an HBCU as it was just more important to go where you knew long term you'd be establishing yourself and creating a career and moving forward. So I think that's real dope. On the flip side of things, you are a black man in film. And I feel like we know in a number of cases, we still get to see more black men than black women. But how then do you in an industry that from my outside looking in perspective, how do you keep from being like an angry black man or somebody who, you know, is making sure that you establish your space in the industry without stepping on too many toes? Or do you just have to step on toes? At least in this this type of field, you have to be firm. You have to stand on your own um, on two feet. This is a field that you can most definitely get pushed and ran over on. And I find myself having to balance being firm and not trying to be, you know, as the the angry black guy. Because I've, I've been in that position on set where I, you know, I may get upset and I have to I have to water myself down so much because I may come off as too aggressive. Um, so it's really it's really about finding a balance. And you, have, and you have to be disciplined. It's so important for for us as, you know, as black filmmakers, especially men, that you have to, you know, you have to tread lightly. You have to tread lightly when you're on these sets, when you're having these conversations with, you know, producers and the people that's above you. We can't just express ourselves like someone else can. We can't give the same energy as, you know, our counterparts can in this field. So it's it's stressful. I, I find myself being very stressful because I wear my emotions on my face and I just have to bite my tongue, bite the bullet. You know, I, I wear, like I said, I wear, I wear my emotions on my face. I, I also try to just be conscious that, okay, I have to be professional at all times. You know, we always have to be professional at all times. Mm. 
But what advice would you give then to a young black man who's just now getting started in film, you know, as well? What would you say to him to, you know, consider and think about as he's looking to take on that journey? I believe it's it's extremely important to find your tribe. You have to find like-minded individuals that, that wants to come together as an actual team. If you know you are strong as a cinematographer, well, find you a writer. Then find you a director. Just build you a tribe that caters to the things that you really want to do as far as a filmmaker. I know for me, I, I've always been a loner, and it was hard putting my trust into people. To trust people to do their job is a hard task at hand. When I was in undergrad, I always did everything by myself. I shot, I directed, I edited. But it's, it's always it's a, an amazing thing when you know that you can rely on somebody to do their job. And that's something that being in film school taught me, that I wear my director's hat. I don't want to wear the cinematographer's hat. I don't want to wear the writer's hat when I'm on director's mode. I don't want to wear my producer hat because that's not my duty. I don't want to worry about lights. That's your job. So putting my trust into people that do this, they, their job is, is amazing. If you can find a tribe of people who you're actually friends with, because being, you know, being filmmakers and friends, that helps you out so much more. You can you can rely on your your friends. So I, I would say the first thing would be build your tribe as a filmmaker. Mm. And it'll make everything else run so much smooth. I swear it'll make everything so much smooth. Mm-hmm. So let me ask you this too then. Thinking about even your career, you know, again, and being a filmmaker, how were you able to find the funding that you needed? What are some of the things you did to get that off the ground? So, at least for Just Black and all my other films that were shot in California, a lot of sacrifice of living a social life was, was needed. We got refund checks. It was tri-semester. We got refund checks. I got $12,000 each semester, and I just saved my money. I stayed in a two-bedroom apartment with five of us all together, $500 per person for rent, because I knew that I was going to be taking a sacrifice with my finances. You know, you live in California, you want to, you know, you want to travel and, you know, just sightsee and all that. I know I can't do that if I'm trying to make these films. Just Black was roughly about $7,000. And that was, you know, me saving money and while also having to feed myself and, you know, pay for any type of traveling that I did. That was whether it was going back home or not. So, like I said, saving those refund checks is will help you with all that because I didn't have a job in California. When you're in film school, more than likely, you're not going to have a job because there's so many hats that you got to wear in film school. Chances of you having a job and balancing that out with film school is very, you know, it's unlikely. So sacrificing um, how comfortable I was and saving those refund checks and not just blowing the money on clothes and, you know, and cars and all of that stuff. Mm. What do you say to somebody who was like, no, no, don't take out a student loan, though. Don't do that. Don't do that. What do you say to that person? I would say do it, but do it with the purpose. Don't take out the loan because you want to you want to live a you know a, a, a cool life. You want to do a lot of traveling things like that. So like if you're gonna do it, do it with the purpose. That should like loans should be like your last resort. You should you should you should only go to loans after you didn't try to get scholarships. You didn't try to get grants. You know family contributions. You you at the end of it all, that's when you'll end up taking out that loan and you and you do it with the purpose. Like I, I took out my loans. I'm, I'm in debt, but it was. I see a bigger vision. I, there's a goal at hand at, down the road for me, mm-hmm. and I, and way I, the way I see just black going later on down the road, that money's gonna come back tenfold. It's gonna come back tenfold somewhere down the line. Like I said, it's a, it's a sacrifice, and 
and take that loan out with intention. I um, can appreciate that perspective. And here's why, because again, as a first generation college graduate, what life looks like for you, especially coming from a low SES background, it's not something where you said my, my folks just have it and they just have it to give to me. And it's for you to be creative in your approach to taking care of yourself. That's led you to say, well, here is the best option for me because while I am one about, you know, if you can have as little debt as possible, have as little debt as possible, but when it's an absolute necessary and when that debt is allowing you to make the investment that's good for whatever's coming next, you've got to weigh the cost. So for you to say, this is what I had to do to do what I needed to do. But now because of it, I have this degree. I have this experience. I've been able to produce film and do things because of, so you have results. And like you said, is contributing to the big picture and it's mindful. So I really love, really, really love that perspective because there are a lot of us who are first gens who just don't have it. And because we don't have it, we're missing out on some of the opportunities, you know, compared to others who do have, have it and have it as just the resources, the access. And like you said, being a last resource to be able to lean into loans or credit cards but to make sure that you're using it for something that you're going to make money back on. Mm-hmm. So I can appreciate that thoughtfulness and that perspective a lot. That's extremely important. Like my mindset, when I found that I can't pay the rest of something, at least for like college wise, somebody's going to pay for my education. Like there's going to be someone when I transferred to Virginia State, I was on the course of being sent back home because I, I didn't have the finances to pay for the rest of school. And this is when I had first transferred, first time driving all 13 hours to Virginia State. And I'm a self-advocator. Early on, I ended up finding out how to self-advocate. And I was able to email every administrator that was possible. I went onto their website. I looked at anybody that was of a higher you know, administration. And I just told them about myself, what I'm trying to do. And I said, I promise that I'll be out of Virginia State. And I think I ended up saying after three semesters, give me three semesters and I will be gone. I will be done with Virginia State. And, you know, and I got an email saying that they will pay, you know, from a, a person, his name is Mr. Bland. He ended up giving me the money to, to finish off that first semester. Mm. I did great my first semester, and then that just carried on to the next semester. And I just kept doing the same thing for those next two semesters, and I was and I was done. Mm. I made a promise to them, and I said, and I, I I stood firm on on very same thing. So I don't I don't let the finances be my roadblock. Mm. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna try. I'm gonna exhaust every possible avenue there is before I end up taking taking the L. Before I end up taking the L, I'm going to ensure that I take every possible route for a W. Mm. So that, that's my that's my stance. I don't let it be my roadblock. Just, somebody, somebody's going to pay for it. Just, let me just give you all of this right now because, look, <laughs> one, not only do you talk about self-advocacy, but the idea that you just won't quit. Like, there's no such thing as no if you refuse to, you know, let there be a no. Like, you're like, I'm looking for the yes. <laughs> I'll give me the yes because... How easy is it for us to give up when we just don't see a way? How easy is it for us to be like, nah, like I'm good. It's not going to happen for me because I can't or this ain't or I don't. But for you to not have the excuse, like that's what it means to really be out here going to get it. And I love that. And that reminder that keep going until you find your yes. Keep going until you find oh, who's going to do do it. Because I mean, it's business, right? It's all business. And at the end of the day, we both know, you know, as, as creatives and entrepreneurs, not every door is even meant for us to go through. So even for me, I have this thought that, you know, and a friend actually put this on my brain a while ago. You want to pray for God to send you people who 
are like you and better. And what that means is people who share the vision, people who get it, who can see what you're trying to do and who want to be in alignment with you. So it goes back to that tribe, but that tribe at night, even that it's always people who are like directly around you, like your friends, right? Sometimes that tribe is, like you said, those administrators who see you and hear what you're saying is like, all right, I got you. I believe in you. Or it's the people who you don't even realize buying your books or, you know, purchasing some of your products or into your services who show up and they invest and they allow you to continue to be who you are in the best element of yourself. So I love that, but you got to keep looking for it, but not just looking for it. You got to ask God, you know, the universe, Buddha, whoever it is that you believe in to say, Hey, this is what I'm after. And this is what I need. Can you send it to me? Can you show me, you know, where to go? Because something ignited within you to say, I'm going to go and talk to this person. Something drove you to do mm-hmm. that. Whatever it was, you trusted that thing. But I have a firm belief that your, your, your thought was, how can I figure this out? Who do I need to talk to? Rather than just, it ain't gonna happen. <laughs> it's not happening. So man, I love that. Like that got me real excited because it's, it's very true. You can have what you want, but you got to go out there and you got to find it. Nobody's just going to throw it in your lap. And not just that, you can't sit around and just assume that people are going to give you anything people worry about themselves period if you need something yeah you got to go out there and you got to be like this is what i need and especially when you're looking at entrepreneurship if you need it and nobody's gonna give it to you you can't be mad at people you know for your failure (laughs) that's on you that ain't that responsibility people don't owe you yeah that's what essentially is no no one no one owes you anything like you you, like you're going to try you got to get it by any means you know i I have i have a will to not i don't want to lose and that's and that's more than enough. Like I don't I don't want to lose. I want to be the best at whatever I'm at. I want to work for mine. People don't owe me anything. Of course, you can be upset. You know, if somebody don't you know pour into you. But they, I mean, do they owe you? Mm. You don't owe me anything. That, but you you gonna respect that I grinded for it though. You gonna respect that I you know I did everything possible to ensure my su- success. So that's the biggest thing. I'm gonna ensure. It. I'm, I'm gonna do everything possible to ensure my success. Mm. I'm with that. I'm absolutely with that. So tell us what's next for you. What's 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 coming up? So for me, for right now, continue to push just black. The ultimate goal is to get that pitch meeting. You know, in 2020, 2021, I want to be able to go to one of these one of these executives or someone out there that really just check out the film Just Black and possibly get distribution into making that actual series because the goal is to really make that my actual series. On top of that, I also have another film called Crave that I'm getting music done for it. And once the music done is for that, I'll start submitting to film festivals. And the whole process of film festivals is a is a headache, but that's something that you should do as a filmmaker to get your name out there so people recognize you a whole lot more. So getting that getting that film Crave completed all the way, then um, I'll be able to push that as well and just try to get more eyes on it and also look for filmmaking opportunities out there. I'm with that. Well, I am so excited for you. And I actually did have a chance to check out Just Black. And I was like, yo, you are extremely talented. Like, it didn't even look like, like, you know, sometimes you look at something like this bootleg. <laughs> like, it's the quality is like, it's good. It was good. I enjoyed it. And especially said being an HBCU graduate and hearing how you were able to break down these elements of why it's even important, you know, and then to see you in the film as well. It's like, oh, okay, I see it, I see it. So I'm just excited <laughs> about what you're doing. And I'm just going to go ahead and say it now. I look forward to the day. I'm like, yeah, he was on the show. He's been on the podcast. I know him. <laughs> because, you know, your grind and your hustle, like, you know, it, it takes time to get there. But you're well on your way. And the fact that you keep showing up 
and that you're hungry and that you're out there is what's really important. So for those of you who have been sitting on these thoughts and dreams of yours, they don't come true unless you make them. They don't come true unless you hustle. And for you to have found your thing and to pursue that fearlessly, that matters because it makes all the other things just as meaningful, you know? You know, the reason why you don't give up, the reason why you're finding creative ways to do things, the reason why you hustle is because you found something that you believe in that's worth the hustle. So I'm with that. So on that note, that thing you want to leave us with, what is that thought that you want for us to carry with us to marinate on for the rest of our lives? What is DeAndre going to tell the people? I would say have a killer will. And that's, that's as simple as that. Like stick to your guns, never do anything for the money, do it for the passion, do it for the love. Money will always come, but when you do stuff for the passion, it, it's it's a different type of feeling as, as opposed to a person that do, do it for the money. So I always recommend follow your passion and just have that killer will to be the best at whatever you do and put your foot on their necks. Hey, on their neck. <laughs> you saw HBCU. You saw HBCU. <laughs> I love it. Well, look, thank you, DeAndre, for being here. Y'all be on the lookout for him. And of course, I'm going to make sure in your show notes that we drop the link to your video, to your project so that people can check it out and support you. And, you know, we're cheering for you. We got you back here in the first gen lounge. But again, thank you for just sharing your time no, and thank your you. wisdom. Thank you so much. You are so very thank welcome. Thank you so much. I, I really appreciate you and for all the things that you're doing. I love what you're doing. So I, I just, I can't wait to see what you do um, just going forward. Mm-hmm. So wow. beautiful, beautiful person, beautiful soul. Wow, thank you so much. Wow. Look, look see, y'all see the HBCU love? See it? You already know. They don't understand. <laughs> no, some of them, yeah. But if you go to HBCU, you missed out. No, but really, I really appreciate that. And, you know, and speaking of, we met at UNCF too. So even, you know, even black, black be black, but for good reason. Mm-hmm. So I all love. But again, thank you so, so much.